Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Podcast Daily. It is Thursday, and it's a day late, but we're going to do some stocks. It's also maybe a week late. I don't know, um, but we're going to get back into it. It's been a strange week, and everything has been the schedule's out of whack. So we're just going to do it today, and that's just the bottom line because Austin said so. That's Bill Landis mm. and Jeremy Birmingham. And uh, partly, I'm, I was just intrigued by Bill's take trying to spin forward and look at the matchup with Georgia, and he named some players at ohiostate.rivals.com uh, who could be key uh, players, key matchups to watch. And so we're going to parlay it off of that. Or if you want to start, you can name some guys who maybe played better in the Michigan game than they might have got credit for because everything else was drowned out in a sea of negativity, partially that I created. <laughs> well, I don't think you created the negativity. I would suggest that perhaps you amplified it a little hmm. bit but that's okay. irrelevant um you know bill stock piece, uh, stock down on austin ward i am austin's way down amplification on austin's amplification stonk is down um bill you know in his piece on wednesday mentioned the first guy that i would probably think it almost has to be an impact player against georgia and that's sunny styles because georgia's tight end situation is not like anything else ohio state has seen and um, it's not even really about Brock Bowers, who is obviously the best tight end in the country, according to the statistics, but I think it could be about Darnell Washington, who may be the most important player on Georgia's entire offense. When you think about all the things that he does and the things that he allows them to do. Um, so I think Sonny Styles has to be a player that over this next month develops into a true weapon for the defense that secret weapon we heard all about in mm. august needs to be mm. um unfurled unleashed he just turned 18 he's allowed to vote now i <laughs> vote for sunny styles to make an impact hmm. that's what the issue was he was just too young to play before <laughs> yeah there, he, he couldn't okay. get a waiver signed <laughs> if you couldn't get that parental waiver if you're a secret weapon you have to be registered that's true that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> it sure does. Um, <laughs> uh, I yeah, I mostly wrote that story as like an excuse to talk a little bit about Sonny Styles, uh, which is probably pretty transparent. Um, but I do agree with Berm that if if they were ever going to do something like that, now now is the game. Um, it's a really unique matchup. I think both Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington are. Darnell Washington more so, but but even Brock Bowers are, are a tad bit unicornish in their ability. There's just not many guys walking around like them who can do what they do at their size and speed. And Sonny Styles is Ohio State's guy in that regard, too, I think. Or at least he will be. Maybe that's too much to put on him now as a guy who just turned 18 years old. But I think he will be that down the line. So um, we saw it a little bit against Wisconsin. That was probably more of an emergency situation than anything else with some of the injuries they were dealing with at the time. But they have like a month to get ready for this game. And if you have guys that you think could be a physical matchup against a team that is unique, I think you need to use them. So I agree with Berm. That's why I mentioned Sonny. Um, and then also, I'll, I'll just pick another guy, JT Tuimolowau. Um, but Stetson Bennett, like, never has anybody around him. He is He's a Heisman Trophy finalist, which I think is a matter for some debate. He's really good um, and, and much better than I think people probably give him credit for. But he also gets to live a pretty charmed life, I think, as a guy who just gets to operate cleanly for the majority of every game that Georgia finds itself playing in. And JT or Zach or like pick a defensive end or whoever needs to change that because if he can sit back there and 
pick apart what I think is a, you know, clearly a little bit of a suspect secondary for Ohio State, then that portends uh, bad things, I think, for the Buckeyes in the Peach Bowl. So um, I'll use JT as a stand-in for anybody up front, but I think he's the guy who's probably most capable of, of turning it on and being a dominant player in that game. Do you guys think there should be an age limit to be invited to the Heisman Trophy finals? <laughs> you like stuff like if you're 27, you can't go. Or or 25, for example. I mean, Maybe that's that why Hendon Hooker's on a finalist. But but Stetson Bennett is. So I'm just trying to figure out where do we draw the line here? The guy has an AARP card. You know what I mean? Like it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. I mean, I don't think that's the reason that he shouldn't be in New York City, but that's uh you know what we could do is spin off on a tangent here because I've had this thought that I wanted to express the last few days, but I don't want to put it on Twitter because Twitter is awful and everything you say there gets. Yeah, this is a safe in. space. Yeah, yeah the, YouTube, YouTube, is, YouTube is much, much safer. Um, I, I firmly believe that Blake Corum belonged in New York as one of the Heisman finalists, but I think the fact that Donovan Edwards put up the numbers he did in the last two games when Corum couldn't play sort of invalidated some of what Corum did because I think people believe or rightfully have learned that it might be the Michigan offensive line that was the, the best part of their offense and not the running backs. Hmm. So that was, that, a, correct. that was a stock up and a stock down on Blake Corum at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a really good player. I just think that clearly Donovan Edwards ran for like 15 yards of carry the last two weeks. I think that it seems like he that the offensive line is doing most of their heavy lifting. Those guys are taking advantage of it, obviously, but that offensive line is is pretty good. So anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Austin, your turn. I didn't have Berm taking the Michigan offensive line as a stock up <laughs> on this show either. So I'm well. All- hey, we're heading into the playoff, and <laughs> Georgia and Michigan are the two finalists for the Joe Moore Award. Did you know that? So why did they? Why are they only picking between two? I've never because no one else's get- offensive line is any good. <laughs> I, I don't remember that ever being the case for a major award. It's only going to be this one or that one. Why yeah, would they do I that? It was, I thought it's been five in the past. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what happened here. Are they just going to flip a coin when they get into the room? Mm-hmm. Stock down in the Joe Moore Award. Yeah, it's a stupid award anyway. Like, come on, you're just. Why doesn't every unit get one? Let's all let's hand out participation trophies to every unit across the country. Well, hey, I, man, lobbied I will last not year. sit here. I will not sit here and allow you to slander <laughs> offensive linemen who get overlooked for every other award. They deserve it. I think that there should be an old, like you have the Remington. There should be one for guards. Should be one for tackles. But going for a whole unit, come on! I don't. I just don't like it. <laughs> I lobbied last year for the Ohio State receiver core to split the Blitnikoff, and nobody wanted to hear that. So I enjoyed hearing it. Um, anyway, it's your turn. I I think I had this conversation with Bill earlier in the week, and so I the you two are both um, expecting more from Sonny Styles. I wonder if it's still maybe a tad early or that Ohio state would still be reluctant to do that against Georgia, in which case my expectation shifts to Josh Proctor to have a bigger impact in this game. They need someone with his size, speed and physicality potentially to help, um, especially in a game that's probably going to be one more inside the box than outside for Georgia. And I don't know, maybe it's too elaborate, but maybe there's a possibility that that, Putting Josh Proctor on the field also lets them do something different and move around Lathan Ransom to try and create different looks. I don't know, but I just feel like Josh Proctor is going to have to play some role in this game, and I don't know how extensive it will wind up being, what Jim Knowles has in mind to do so. It may well be Sonny Styles. There's still, you know, three and a half weeks to go, and that could be a lot. That could be enough time for a true freshman at, at 
several other positions to be ready and and maybe make an impact that we're not expecting. But somebody with Josh Proctor's, you know, veteran savvy uh, experience and uh, clear cut physicality, I think could be someone who is needed against Georgia. So for someone to watch, I, that's someone who I am expecting to maybe have an impact on New Year's Eve. Bill, do you think there's a case to be made that Josh Proctor and Sonny Styles should both be on the field at the same time and you eliminate sort of the Tanner McAllister slot corner role in this game because with Georgia, you really have Marcus Rosamy Saint uh, at one wide receiver spot, Lad McConkey at the other, and then they run a 12 personnel the entire game. Like, is there, do you think we could maybe see them like eliminate the, the, the slot corner they've been using and, and put Josh out there as the third linebacker or Sonny and then put Josh in the slot or vice versa? I was actually trying to think of that as awesome was talking about Josh. Um, yeah, I think they could. I, I, I'm trying to think what it would look like because if you're going to stick with the four down, two corners obviously, and then the two and Tommy and Steele, then you take Tanner off, but then you also have to take someone else off, right? You have to probably take like Lathan or Ronnie off the field. I don't, I don't know if you want to do that. Um, so I'm not sure unless unless you decide you want to take like Steele off the field and play with basically Josh Proctor as your, as your will linebacker um, or Sonny or Sonny yeah. as your will linebacker. Um, I guess I could see that it would, it would require them to take multiple people off of the field who have played the majority of the snaps at their position for this defense this year. And guys who you know the last game, notwithstanding, I think have, have played pretty well this year. So I don't know how funky you want to get with that, but I also think it's the kind of game where you do whatever you feel like you need to do to win. So um, if yeah. they want to put them both on the field, I know I'll watch that. It's time to get funky, y'all. That's what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that to what you know, Austin said maybe that we're a little bit more confident in Sonny. I don't know that it's that I'm confident. I think it's more like he may be necessary as opposed to he may be ready. I think this is one of those baptism by fire moments for a young guy that has just sort of been waiting. Um, on the flip side of that, I think Joshua Fryer is a guy who I think Ohio State should play a lot. In this game against Georgia, even if uh, Matthew Jones is back and healthy, and I think Ohio State should look to sort of counter what Georgia does up front with their own six, seven-man offensive line look and go that route. I, I would mm. take Emeka Abuka and Marvin Harrison um, on an island against Georgia's corners pretty much most of the day and, and then let your running game have a chance to do something against a very good, very big Georgia defensive line by adding Josh Fryer out there for a large portion of the game. Um, sort of in that second tight end spot. So I think you should see him a lot. Um, so I, I, that's sort of my my other wrinkle that I would be hoping Ohio State's looking at because I, I think you beat Georgia by passing the ball down the field, but you can use Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka and Cade Stover and the running backs in, in a lot of different ways and still flex out Julian Fleming and others at times. But I think you have to be able to out to perform in the trenches with Georgia early in this game or it gets out of hand. If they have to do that, Berm, I mean, isn't that almost like conceding defeat? If they're starting five, can't just win matchups against Georgia in the trenches? I think that'd be... Yeah, I mean, I think that is conceding defeat, but I also think that you have to be prepared for what you're up against here. And uh, you're, they're not going to be afraid of Georgia. Ohio State's not physically afraid of them, but you need to know what their strengths are. Um, and I, I think that there's going to be a part of this team heading into these next three weeks that wants to prove... They can be as physical as the team they're playing, and if they're going to win a national championship, they're going to have to throw some haymakers and, and hit people in the mouth. So I, I think that just part of the attitude they need to cultivate over these next few weeks. Funky and physical. Funky and physical. 
<laughs> it's the two <laughs> F's of the college football playoff. <clears throat> I think uh, I think that raises a an important um, kind of philosophical question for Ohio State about what they want to be in this game offensively because they've at different times like tried to have tried to be the twelve personnel team and that just hasn't worked very well. Um, and I think they've kind of looked at their bet looked look their best when they've been more of the spread it out eleven personnel. But uh, you know, I'm the, I, if you're going to suggest play more offensive linemen. I'm in. He's just playing. He he's just pandering to you today. I, I don't thought know. you might be. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, um, softening him I'm up. Trying yeah. to figure out why. What's he going to hit you with down the road? <laughs> um, I'm going to pick a very obvious one uh, and go with Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh wow, who uh, needs to be peppered with targets at all times, especially in high leverage situations which did not happen nearly enough against Michigan. Um, Not to belabor the point or rehash their cuteness in that game, but it can be simple. Throw the ball to the best receiver in the country and throw Mm -hmm. it to him often against a team that when it's gone up against, you know, elite passing offenses the last few years has given up some yards. Yards and points are different. They've not given up many touchdowns, but they do give up the yards. And, you know, Marvin's a scoring threat no matter where you are on the field. So, um I think he versus Kali Ringo could be appointment television at times, similar to what it was like when he went up against Joey Porter Jr. Marvin won the majority of those matchups. I have no doubt he can do it in this one as well. Um, and he needs to be the focal point of the offense. No, like, let's mix in Xavier Johnson and let him do Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff. No, let's draw some up tight end throwback plays. Like, you want to get those guys touches, that's all well and good. But when the money's down and you need to move the football, throw it to your best player. Put a little pepper on it. Little pepper, little little pepper. Mm. pepper. I need somebody at some point this month to be honest and say what is going on with Mike Hall's shoulder. If it's strong enough for him to play any snaps, what exactly is keeping him from taking, let's say, more than thirteen against the best team that you've played? That's how many he played against Michigan. That's about where he's been in most of these games for the last month or so, except was it Northwestern? Um, there was one that was an exception. And we're like, well, hey, Mike Hall's back out there for more than 20 snaps uh, and then went right back. Iowa, I think. he played 31 against Iowa, okay, I think. There it is. Thank you. And then it was the next week against Northwestern. He disappeared again. That was uh, confounding, uh, to say the least. Um, if you're talking in Burmese, you are co- correct. You're going to win a game against Georgia. You're going to have to do it in the trenches. Uh, and Ohio State didn't do that to the level that they needed to against Michigan. That was eventually why they got worn down and didn't win in the fourth quarter uh, after missing opportunities previously. My call is, as we've said all year, the most impactful player that they have on the interior of the defensive line, and it's not particularly close. There is undoubtedly a drop-off, and there's been so much conversation from not just me, but but a lot from me about that rotation and Ohio State seemingly believing that there's not a huge difference between the production between Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton and Jerron Cage and Teron Vincent and anybody else that they rotate through on the interior. But I'm I'm here to say that I believe there is. And if you're going to win and stop Georgia offensively, knowing what I said earlier about this game being decided inside the box, then Mike Hall simply has to play more than 13 snaps. And if he can't do it, they need at this point to say why. We could probably go down a rabbit hole about the potential uh, 
maybe not even potential, the negative ramifications of the way Ohio State's handled the injury report this year. But I don't know that anyone wants to hear that. I think they've done themselves. <laughs> I already did that once this week, I yeah. believe. But I- they've done their players quite a disservice this year, and, and Mike Hall is is one of those guys this that's been dealing with the repercussions of that. Um, I agree, though. When you're playing Georgia, you need to have your uh, your dogs out there, and mm-hmm. Mike Hall is one of those guys, and he's going to be one of the difference makers. Him and Tyleek Williams both. I was going to pick Tyleek Williams, but for the same basic reason. You need to have guys that can plug up the hole when you're playing against Kenny McIntosh uh, and Kendall Milton and what Georgia does with their offensive line. Uh, Tyleek played 17 snaps in the game, Burn. Is that good or bad? It's um, not quite enough for my estimation. Just mm-hmm. for point of reference, Teron Vincent played 45 and Ty Hamilton played 30. You know, and, and there's an argument to be made there. Tyleek Williams, as a run stuffer, has been less than good at times in his career, but he has been playing better. Ty Hamilton played fine. He's played well when he's played. Teron Vincent's had a great season. I, I think that if you're rotating in those guys, I think there's at times when Ohio State maybe needs to consider even playing a five-man front in this game against Georgia just to to try and force Stetson Bennett to beat you because that's you can't let Georgia get sort of their butts behind them and start feeling like they can just run you over. And that's what they're going to try to do, especially when they've watched the tape of the Michigan game in the second half. That's what they're going to come out and trying to do. Um, from Ohio State, they had to have watched the LSU game against Georgia and realized if you're going to beat Georgia, you're going to need to chuck it around the yard. Okay? Chuck it, chuck around, it around the yard. Um, oh. I think there's a moment here for C.J. Stroud to redefine himself in a way that it's probably necessary after what he said um, after the Michigan game, saying that one game doesn't define him and the team. And while that may be true on some level, it certainly defines your Ohio State career if you can't beat Michigan. Um, and for the first time in program history, a quarterback who hasn't beaten Michigan in what is his final game at Ohio Stadium is going to get another chance to beat Michigan. Um, and so to do that, this game against Georgia will now define C.J. Stroud's career. Um, and I think that he has to play the best football he's played in his life. And, uh, so I, that's definitely the guy I'm, I'm looking at just to see if he takes that next step as far as leadership goes. And, and if he's willing to get out there and sacrifice himself a little bit and, and take the hits and take the five yard scrambles when they're there, I, I believe he's going to do that. I think he understands what's on the line here. I think, you know, he's going to finish probably third, uh, this weekend in the Heisman voting. If I had to guess based on, you know, what we've seen um in the last couple weeks and nobody that's watched him this year can objectively think he played better this season than he did last season and and i don't know exactly why that is maybe it's what happens when you lose your security blanket in jackson smith and jigba maybe it's what happens when the offense what for whatever reason is, is trying to be too cute the play calling all the other stuff we've talked about but for ohio state to beat georgia you have to have a one world-class cj stroud and and uh, i think he's going to be up for the challenge i was thinking about that this week <clears throat> how would you i guess either of you characterize how cj has played in his biggest games fine yeah fine was like the word that i landed on certainly not bad fine to good but not not what you were just describing yeah i don't think we've seen in the games that ohio state's lost when cj Stroud has been the starting quarterback i don't think there's any of them you can put on his shoulders um and he's done enough in each of them to win the game I think, I think that's probably fair. Uh, yeah. He's unfairly saddled with both losses a year ago. Very unfairly in my estimation. Mm. I, I still get 
comments all the time about how, you know, terrible he was against Oregon uh, and the social media is whatever it is. But um, I say, well, he threw for 480 yards in that game and it was the second start of his career. People remember the one throw that he missed late, uh, a missed pass interference call as well, and nothing seemingly about the defense completely collapsing on its face and forcing Ryan Day to strip Kerry Combs of his responsibilities the next week. I mean, or the was, drop touchdown by Jeremy Ruckert or anything else. That's right. He was more than fine in that game, and he did everything that Ohio State needed to win offensively. And what he did with the flu in Ann Arbor uh, should have been enough to win in that game most more times than not. And so I'm trying to think what other ones we could put out there that we're going to lump into this bucket, uh, maybe at Penn State this year. Uh, and this year's Michigan game. And that one, yeah, I mean, obviously that, but uh, that one I find still, that would definitely be a fine performance and not more than that. Mm-hmm. I think the other ones that come to mind tend to be on a higher scale than that, not elite, or else we wouldn't be having those conversations at all because he would have thrown for... 600 yards and seven touchdowns and all of them. But I think he's been better than he gets credit for. And um, I'm going to stand on it. I think that's, I think that's probably right. I, I think better than he's been given credit for is fair, but I also think it's fair as like to Berm's point to ask maybe a little bit more of him kind of given his standing in the sport, given how mm-hmm. he's thought of, you know, at the next level um, they need him to be elite, I think to win this game. And I, I don't know if he's been quite to that level. I want to see fire out of him. You have to show passion. We talked about it on Monday at Roosters. Justin Fields, if you go back to that Clemson game in 2020, if you go on that field and look in Justin Fields' eyes, I was on, you know, right there, a row up in the stands because we weren't allowed on the field. But (laughs) I was on the field uh, the year before for the Clemson loss. That is a guy who had it in his eyes. He was going to absolutely kill himself if that's what it meant to win the game. Um I don't know that I've seen that look out of CJ, and that's something I'm waiting to see. Yeah, me too. Um, third guy for me is a uh, – I'll say Donovan Jackson, but it can be any of the interior offensive linemen, Matthew Jones, Luke Whippler, whoever plays in Matthew Jones' place if he doesn't play. Uh, Jalen Carter is a menace. He is, I think, one of the best individual defensive players Ohio State will will go against in my time covering this team going back to 2014. Um, you look at the stats, it might not tell you that. I would just ask you to watch Georgia play like a quarter of football and then tell me what you think about him. He is <laughs> a game record to the highest degree. Um, and I th- you know, I think the offensive line for Ohio State has been pretty good. Uh, but when it hasn't looked at its best, the, the miscues seem to come in the middle of the offensive line, in particular at the guard positions, as we've talked about a few times this year. Um, certainly a lot of bright spots out of Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones, if we're to assume that's who's going to play at, at the right guard position. Um, but they need to be at their absolute best in this game because that Georgia defensive line in general is very good, but Jalen Carter is on another level, and uh, they cannot allow that guy to ruin C.J. Stroud's day. I agree. I, I, know, if- I, I know I'm talking a lot, and I apologize. If you look at the Georgia-Tennessee game, what Georgia did in that game, and I assume that's sort of the similar game plan they're going to try to deploy uh, against Ohio State because you look at the offenses and you can see some similarities. They, I think they sacked Hendon Hooker 10 times in that game. They're going to blitz like crazy, and it's not going to be from the defensive line. That entire offensive line, if there's any problem with communication in that game, you're going to see Georgia in the face of C.J. Stroud a whole lot, and this season has been he's not been good when he's had pressure on him. So that that is something to certainly uh, be watching for. I wonder if Donovan Jackson needed – 
uh, a mental refresh recharge just as much as a physical one and how much mm-hmm. this month could do for him since that first moment coming off of the if you look at the season and split it right in half which you can very easily for donovan jackson the first six weeks we we're saying oh my goodness they've got someone who could already be an all-american he could play tackle next year he can do this he can do anything he's he's playing at such an elite level for someone who's never been a full-time starter at ohio state this guy he Burham said he's going to be president and and he's still gonna, believe that and he's going to win the heisman as a guard it's a it's incredible um and then he gave up he missed you know, the stunt gave up the only touchdown to Iowa by letting CJ get hit and fumble, um, you know, scoop and score for the Hawkeyes. And it's like, I'm, I'm not sure just watching him. He didn't say any of this, that he ever really recovered from that. It was like a big mistake that cost his team. And, and maybe he played a little bit tight. And we've talked about that for other people and other coaches for Ohio state, the way that they played in Michigan game, like just, just forget about that. Like, Focus on how good Donovan Jackson can be. Watch the first six weeks. Forget about the other six. You know, find some things to correct and move on. But um, I don't know, Bill. You you watch it and analyze it more closely than I do. I just he was good for the most part in the second half, but the p- level of play didn't seem as consistent. And again, it may well be a nagging physical issue that Ohio State has done a disservice to him by not addressing. And I'm speculating that it may have been a mental thing as well. Yeah, it could be some combination of both. I, don't, I do I do think a play like that Iowa play is something that sticks with you, especially if you're a young player. And it does seem like the moments where Donovan has gotten himself most in trouble are similar moments to that one, where there's some kind of twist up front and there needs to be some communication that happens. Someone is slow to react, and then all of a sudden the quarterback has somebody in his face when he's not expecting it. So um, I think you're right. I think this could be an, an opportunity for him to like take a step back get his feet back underneath him and come out and play really well. And and I do think you guys can tell me if I'm wrong on this. So this is the third time now that we'll have seen a Ryan day team in the playoff. I feel like by and large that the two times previous, his team has come out in the semifinal and everyone like has played pretty well, like look, has looked recharged, looked, look focused. I know they had some like red zone miscues the first time against Clemson. Um, but I think his teams both times kind of came out of the gates pretty well and focused in, in both of those games. So I think that can happen again here. And, and a guy like Donovan Jackson is probably the best example of someone who could use that. Agreed. I don't think there've been game plan issues for any of Ryan day's playoff games. Yeah. Personally. I mean, I think they've been well coached and well prepared. And then they just had things go immediately sideways against Alabama. And that's the only one that like seemed to get out of control, uh, but they were already playing with a short deck. So I almost discount that one entirely. Isn't that crazy? Like we just, that game really doesn't even count. Like, <laughs> well, it's, well, like it's your entire starting defensive game. lines not available. And then yeah, it's your weird. Best it's like second best offensive player goes out on the first play. It's like Alabama has like 10 national championships that don't count, and that one does and, and should, but like that one doesn't count to Ohio State is like a loss in the national championship. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was all very weird. Um, I think with four weeks to prepare and to reinsert a healthy Mayan Williams is very, very significant for Ohio State, uh, especially as we've talked ad nauseum about Georgia's physicality on defense. You need somebody with uh, – that bowling ball mentality, the willingness to break tackles, uh, to bend some of those runs, to get dirty, uh, and then play uh, inside the tackle box there. He he's can check all those off the to-do list for Ohio State. So I think that that's a, a huge deal. I don't really think that 
with the severity of the injuries for Travion Henderson that he's going to be able to play much of a role for Ohio State in this game. My expectation, based on the litany of things that he actually addressed publicly himself, um, which is another part of the status report situation, I think that's going to require surgery. So I don't know how he could really play uh, anywhere near full strength against Georgia. So having Mayan Williams back in that regard is doubly important. There was somebody who made the most of opportunities against Michigan, and that was Chip Trainum. Uh, vastly exceeded whatever expectations I could have had for him, having only got one carry up to that point. Uh, it wasn't perfect, and I think that's understandable uh, given the level of competition that they were playing and how long it had been since he'd been a full-time running back. Um, but this is a game where I think that Mayan Williams has to unlock uh, that part of the balance for Ohio State. He's got to be the featured guy. Deserves to be the featured guy, and he's. it's admirable that he tried to play through a high ankle sprain against Michigan, but he wasn't himself, uh, and you need the best version of Mayan Williams, in my opinion, for Ohio State um, to get to that 30-40 point mark that Ryan Day is saying that he knows he needs to reach. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the best version of Ohio State across the board, and we haven't seen that this season. Right. And that ultimately will be sort of the the – the mark on this entire year when when were they at their best and what happened in that off week because <laughs> i mean i'm just i would just love to go back to that that 10 day stretch and, and be a fly on some walls because something just stopped working but anyway but well, mayan's feet mayan's feet are working now and that's what's important yeah yeah, yeah, I was not uh I was not in favor of him trying to play against Michigan and I think uh the negative results of that kind of bore themselves out. Again, credit to him for playing, but uh he should be pretty close I think to 100% right for this game. So, yeah, little little meat cuz I think I think he can be a difference maker in a game like this. Hmm. That sounds right to me. Um these are some speculative stocks for the Peach Bowl. That's Ohio State and Georgia. In case you haven't figured it out, that's on New Year's Eve. We've got a lot more coverage coming your way, as we always do, on the build-up to that one on the podcast and at ohiostate.rivals.com. Thanks for swinging by and spending your Thursday morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening with us. That's Bill, Berm, I'm Austin. We'll see you later.